We're in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7, though the last couple of verses we'll spend more detail in next week. But as we're looking this over and checking out some of the words for us to study here, uh, part of the following out that, that study took me to the verse that talks about the unbelieving husband sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. If you've wondered what that verse means, one of the words we're going to be studying out tonight will help you with that. So, let's take a look at what we have here. Last week we saw that Paul gave four examples of falling back into the old nature that were specifically relevant to the saints that he's writing to. As you study the word, you may find other examples that are more relevant to you. But the word will show you ways that we are falling back into the old nature so that we can correct it and go back into the, the right way. Now, there are important reasons not to go back. One is that we give ground, according to Paul, and thus an opportunity to the devil. Secondly, we are grieving our best ally in the Holy Spirit. And third, we're projecting attitudes and actions that represent darkness instead of light. Those are things we took on last week in the concluding verses of chapter 4. Let's begin here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, therefore, on the basis of what he just taught us there in chapter 4, be imitators of God. The word therefore be is one of those fun words in the Greek. You've heard about it before. We'll just talk to you about it again. It is the Greek word ginomai, which means to be, to become, to come to pass, or to continue. So if it is an exhortation to be something that you are not, to become something that you are not, to continue to do what you have been doing, or continue to be what you have been. This is what this word is, is meaning. Therefore, be imitators of God. <clears throat> be imitators of God. If you are not an imitator of God, become one. If you are imitating God, continue in that. Stay with it. Now, he doesn't say become imitators of Jesus. He says become imitators of God. When Jesus was down here on the earth, Jesus was an imitator of God. So if we pattern ourselves after Jesus, we will also become an imitator of God. But the goal is to become an imitator of God. He does not exhort you to become an imitator of Jesus. There is God the Father. There is God the Son. Now they, we know them as both being God and the things that God did, He did through Jesus. When He created the world's he did it through Jesus, the Word of God tells us. But it's still at the Word of God. Everything that Jesus does is by the words of the Father. That didn't just start in His earthly ministry. The Father said, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He said something. He instructed Jesus, and then Jesus went out and created things. So everything always started with the Father saying something, and then Jesus carried those things out. 
That's why when Jesus, when he's down here, he tells us, pray to the Father. The order of things in heaven is the Father says it and Jesus does it. So if we pray to the Father, then the Father says it and then Jesus does it. Now, like we were talking about on Sunday, God is not looking for technicalities on why not to answer your prayers. But he wants us to understand how things work. And when we understand how things work, then we work according to how that is. That's us respecting how God set things up and respecting the will of God. So if God wants me to come to him, then I come to him. Jesus is the one that's going to carry it out. But that's okay. Go to the Father. That doesn't mean you can't talk to Jesus. <laughs> Don't ever think that. It's just if you were going to make a request, if you were going to ask something, ask, <clears throat> ask the Father. And the Father will declare it and the Son will carry it out. He'll do whatever has to be, be done that way. But you can still have conversations with Jesus if you want to. That doesn't, you can have just a fellowship and conversations. You're not asking for anything. You're just having conversation. That's all right. The disciples did that all the time. They had conversations with Jesus. When Adam and Eve were down here on the earth, walking with Jesus, they had conversations with them. Have conversations with them. But if you're going to ask anything, the Word of God tells us to ask the Mother Father. Now, this be imitators of God is a continuing, or it's a, it's a continued process that needs constant attention. You can't let this go. If you're going to imitate the Father, you've got to keep at it. You've got to keep watching over what it is that you're doing. How am I going about this? This is a continuing process that needs constant attention. We can't come to the place that says, well, I'm an imitator of the Father. I guess we're done. <laughs> no, you stay with it. You keep looking at the Father. The more that we look at the Father, the more we look at what we see of Him in His Word, the more we see of him in the life of Jesus, the more that we go in through the, the more I learn about him. Oh, I see that aspect now. And now I can imitate that. We're never done learning about the father becoming an imitator. Now, the word imitator comes from the Greek word mimetes. It is an imitator or a follower. We get our word mimic from this. You probably saw that in the in the uh, uh, Greek word that I spelled out there for you. But it means an imitator or a follower, one that would be going about to mimic. In chapter 4, verse 32, we were challenged to imitate how God forgave. To forgive as He forgave. That's just one aspect of it. If you're going to imitate God, you're going to imitate how He loves. You're going to imitate how He forgives. You're going to imitate how He does things. Imitating God as His nature is taught in the Word and demonstrated by Jesus is a sure way to have a lifestyle favorable to Him. If you want to have a lifestyle that is favorable to the Father, be an imitator of Him. Uh, how much pleasure does it give a father or a mother to see a son or a daughter do something that is imitating them? And we can see that we just kind of, oh man, look at that. They're doing it just how I would do it. <laughs> and we get so pleased by that. Nobody else might be. 
That's not their son. That's not their daughter. That's not their... They're not being imitated, but boy, when we get out there and we see our son or our daughter imitate something that we've done, oh, we can get excited about that. That's, uh, that's fun. We used, to, we used to get a kick out of Alyssa. She would uh, uh, get up there, and uh, when she was little, she was, she was just a youngster, and she'd get up there behind, behind anything. She'd get behind a desk, she'd get behind a table, she'd get behind whatever it is she could create, and she'd start preaching. <laughs> she'd just start preaching. And when we see imitation, oh man, it just gets us, we just get so, so excited. Now, sometimes they imitate bad things. <laughs> and we're not so excited about that. <laughs> because they'll take it out and they'll demonstrate it to the world. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I don't want anybody to see that. <laughs> That's not so good. But when we become imitators of God, He doesn't have any bad traits. And He gets excited when we begin to imitate Him. Now, Think of it this way. When we imitate the kingdom of darkness and portray it as imitating God, that is not a good direction to go, which is why so many times Paul has exhorted us here, don't follow after, don't produce, don't do the things of darkness. Because as a person who is representing God, people will look at that and say, oh, this must be how God operates like those nuts who get behind a pulpit. And they talk about in some funeral. Well, God just had more use for them than we did. That's just ridiculous. I get angry when I see stuff like that. That's, uh, that's portraying an image of God that is not Him. Now, how do you think God feels when He has people out there doing things to supposedly imitate the nature of God and portraying a nature that is darkness? So one of the reasons why you'll see such um, an aversion to things that are false, to things that are darkness portraying themselves of light. Because we are here to portray the image of God. There's a, uh, a note that you can make. I think later on in Ephesians we'll, we'll see this a little bit clearer. But um, when God created Adam, how did he create him? He, he states it. You may not be thinking of it. You know it. You know this one. They said real clear in the Word of God. When He created Adam, He created him in the image of God. Male and female, He created him. I'm sorry. Um, in the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. As soon as they became a them, they were a little bit different from the image of God. God is not man. God is not woman. When he started off, it's how he was in the image of God. But we are still combined into the image of God. We are supposed to give off that image. What image are you giving off? I heard uh, one person say, one of the reasons why God does not want any images made of him as far as idols and such, and that's why he commanded in the word, is because you are that image. You are supposed to be. That's the purpose of God. You are supposed to be that image. And when you go out there and you create something else by your hands, you are creating a false image. Anyway, that's all for other times. I think down the road, Ephesians gets into it a little bit more. <clears throat> now, imitating the Word of God is used in a good sense. We don't see it come up in a, in a bad sense. Which is, uh, which is nice. 
but he says, he gives us a reason here. Let me go back over here to the verse. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Now, in the Greek, there are nine words translated child. Nine different words. If you want to find that out, go pull out your vines from your, from your shelf. If you, if you don't have the vines, go out and get one. It's one of the best tools that you can have on your, on your library shelf. Pull out your vines. And if you look up the word child, you will see nine different references for them. In those references, some of them actually will tell you the age of the child. Not all. But some of these words will actually tell you how old the child is because of the way that they, they have it done. But here for this one, it is the Greek word technon to mean child, daughter, or son. It is not technion. How many have ever heard technion before? Probably have heard it in different, different places. Technion means little child. Tekdon just means child as a son or a daughter, but one that is related. He puts here the word beloved in front, or dear. And it actually, that word comes from a root of agape. Beloved child. Dear child. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. The motivating fact, the motivating uh, impulse that we have to become an imitator of God is because we understand how dearly we are loved. When you have a little child, they want to imitate, they want to grow up and be like the mom and the dad because they feel that love there. They don't feel that love there if they feel something else, some animosity, some rejection, whatever kind of false thing is there. They don't feel love to become like mom and dad. They feel a drive to become opposite of mom and dad. But when they feel that, that love, that they, that they are dearly loved, that they are beloved of, of the father, of the mother, they have a, a, a drive to become like them. And it's just, it's just something that comes in, in children. As long as they are feeling loved, as long as they feel safe, they will do things that imitate, that mimic mom and dad. And that's, uh, that, that's, that's all good stuff. You know, when we we're, were kids growing up, my wife could see herself in, in um, Christian. She could see herself in Alyssa. She could see some of the things that they would do. Oh, that's, that came from me. That, that, that came from, from, from my, my spot. I could look at them growing up, and I could see certain things that would come, that they came from me. Christian had this uh, adventuresome part to him. And, and we, the two of us, we go off and we could do some adventures. And we could do some stuff that uh, uh, it was fun. You know, we just did it. Uh, just he and I, we were, we were of the same mentality. We would go out there and we would do these things. And, and he thrived on it and I thrived on it. And we just had a good old time with that. I used to tell people all the time with, with Alyssa, she may look like her mom, but she thinks like her dad. <laughs> and she did. She thought like I did on things. I could understand a lot of things that she was going through or, or how she would approach it because she, th she thought about it like I did. So there, there's a lot of imitation that will go on there. And you've heard it said that imitation is a, is a great compliment. Give that compliment to God. Imitate Him. But you've got to learn about Him. But your motivating fact, the motivating thing to get you there is to know that you are dearly beloved. How many times does the devil come against Christians 
to try and challenge their dearly beloved. Remember the disciples on the boat? Master, don't you care that we are perishing? How many times did the children of Israel wander around the wilderness thinking God didn't care? No matter what God did, hey, I'm feeding you every day. God didn't care. I delivered you for how many enemies? God didn't care. Satan is always challenging us on this. He wants us to think that God doesn't care. Because if he can challenge the dearly beloved child, if he can challenge that, then we don't want to imitate. Sometimes we even want to go and do things the opposite. And we don't take on the nature of God. You ever wonder why the devil is always coming after that? He tells you that right here. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children or beloved children. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, I looked up these things here, offering and sacrifice, to try and figure out what they are. And I saw some, some opinions on why both are in here and what both mean. And some of those opinions are that it may have the peace offering at mind and the sacrificial uh, offering in mind, except for the fact that if you go to the Septuagint and you look at these two different Greek words that are rendered here, offering and sacrifice, they are used interchangeably for both offerings and for sacrifices. So that doesn't seem to be uh, anything that we can go for. So we can take it at this. Every aspect of what is in the Old Testament whether it be an offering or a sacrifice, is in mind here. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God. Whatever was being accomplished in the Old Testament by the sacrifice and the offering system that God had set up is accomplished in Jesus. Every aspect of it. <clears throat> so walk in love as Christ also has loved us. So Christ is the example of how to walk in love. We saw him as he operated here on the earth. He is an imitator of God. He is doing things as God would do them. So walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So as Jesus walked on this earth and as Jesus went to the cross and himself was an offering and a sacrifice, that's what we are to imitate. That's what we are to go after and to do. Let's go on over here to... Oh, I didn't give you a blank. Uh, look at that. Our life's goal should not be our satisfaction, but God's. That should be your life goal. Sometimes people are living their life to get satisfied themselves. Our life's goal should not be our satisfaction, but God's satisfaction. Make sure that you're living for Him to be satisfied. The enemy wants to try and get you into covetousness. He wants to try and get you into envy. He wants you to get you to pursue things that bring satisfaction to you. But don't fall for that. Don't go after that direction. When he came to tempt Jesus, he tried to get him to do things that would bring satisfaction to him. Jesus stayed the course. Nope, I'm doing things that bring satisfaction to the Father. That's the direction that we need to go. <clears throat> Now, we translate these words this way. Be becoming, therefore, imitators of God. As children, beloved, and be ordering your behavior within the sphere of love, even as Christ also gave himself up 
in our behalf and in our stead as an offering and a sacrifice to God for an odor of sweet smell. Now, of course, that, that sweet smell and aroma, that is uh, things that relate to the sacrifice that God would, had uh, spoken about numerous times in the Bible. <clears throat> Verse uh, 3. But, going on the other side now, talking about being imitators of God, now we've got to switch gears. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Now some of these words, if you want to do word studies on them, are tough because I believe there's two of them. This is the only place they are. In fact, one of them is extremely rare in any Greek writing. But we'll do our best here with them. But fornication. Now fornication, we've uh, seen that numerous times in the, in the Word of God. <clears throat> Weiss puts this first part here this way. But fornication and uncleanness, every, every kind of it. He kind of is joining those two things together. Fornication is um, sexual relationships outside of marriage, outside the marriage of a husband and wife. To God, marriage is only a husband and a wife. Any other form, any other perversion of it is not God and would not be what, uh, what God is looking at here. People, they, they want to try and put their stamp of approval in it. God didn't. And we're to be imitators of God, not the world of the people that are around us. Now, he's already taught us, Paul's already taught us here not to live like Gentiles do, but we're back on it. We're emphasizing it again. You can see that this is important. He's really trying to get this thing across. But he lists some other things that we could yield ourselves to. And the first one he hit was fornication. Because there's a strong uh, draw that pulls people into this. And this is sexual relations outside of marriage. Yeah, but. No, there are no yeah, buts. It does not matter. Whatever relationships we want to get into outside of marriage that pretend to be a husband and wife are wrong. And he says here in this verse, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints. Now the word here, uncleanness, is actually a, a, a combination word, which many of the Greek words we look at are. The, first, uh, the word itself means uncleanness, ritual, impurity, or immorality. Uncleanness, ritual, impurity, or immorality. It comes from the Greek word that means clean, ceremonial pure, ceremonially pure, undefiled, but it is made negative by the prefix ah. Uh, I guess I didn't, I didn't actually write these words in here for you, but if you want them, it is kathartos. Kathartos. That is the word for clean, ceremonially pure, and undefiled. The word we have here in this scripture is ah kathartos. Kathartos. Ah means everything that is in the word is made negative. So instead of being ceremonial, clean, pure, and undefiled, you are the opposite. This word is used. There's actually a couple of different words here in, in this that we did a search on. One was the adverb and one was the noun. I wanted you to get a chance to see both of these things. That um, 
Now, for Jesus, when he talks about having a clean heart, he talked more about what was in a man than what would enter the man. He says it's not what you eat that causes you to be unclean. It's what's in your heart that causes that to happen. Now, in those passages, it uses a different word. It's using the word for defiled. But the concept is to be unclean or to be ceremonially impure. And so he's using it in there. But he's talking about in order to get to that state, it's, it's what's in your heart. It's what's on the inside. That's what gets it there. Now, if you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12, you can go there. or uh, I'm just, just going to read it here for you. There's not a whole lot that you need to see from it. <clears throat> but to the rest, I, we're looking at the verses 12 through 14 if you want to write that down. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. Again, he came into this, into this city. There were prearranged marriages. Some of the people, when Paul came in, got born again. Sometimes it was the husband. Sometimes it was the wife. And the other person did not get born again. So they had, uh, in the relationship, but it was un unequal. They didn't marry unequal. But they became unequal because when Paul came in, some of them got saved. And so what happened was, they wrote to Paul, if you go back to the very first verse in 1 Corinthians 7, now concerning the things that you wrote to me about. They had written to him some things because they had some questions, and one of those questions was, uh, you're telling me that we have to change our culture because what would happen in, in the culture that they were living in is that you had sex for pleasure at the temple. They had... Uh, priests and priestesses that were up there and that was their purpose and that was uh, for the fun and then you had uh, relationships with your with your husband or wife for the purpose of having kids and now Paul came in there and taught them uh-uh person you're married to that's it what <laughs> are you kidding me and then they began to look at each other ah that's not what we signed up for so they they had some questions and they wrote to him about some of those things. I'm not going to get into all the different things that they could have or may have written, but we do know a few of them. Some of them were thinking about leaving them. But here, we're given maybe a clue as to one of the questions that they asked. Verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. Many times people read this and they're trying to figure out what does the saved wife's, what, what is the effect that the saved wife has on the unsaved husband? Does this mean, sanctified, that the unsaved husband could get into heaven because of the saved wife? Is there any place in the Word of God that says that you can get in on your spouse's coattails? There is nothing in the Word of God that says that. So if we're going to take that meaning from this one verse and bypass all the other ones, more than likely, we are coming up with the wrong meaning. And I think the reason that we've come up with the wrong meaning is because we looked at the wrong aspect of this verse. Paul is not teaching the effect that the wife has on the husband or the husband has on the wife. He's teaching what the combined effect has on the children. Look at this verse again. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, 
your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. The effect here is the children. One of the things they may have written to him about was, if we continue on in these relationships and we are unequally yoked, our children will be unholy because of the spouse that is an unbeliever. So should we divorce and marry someone who's a born-again believer so that we don't have that? And Paul's saying, no, that's not a reason for divorce. What I'm telling you is, in that relationship, because one of you is born again, that you have sanctified the union so that the offspring of that union are holy to God. Now, that, hopefully that makes a little bit more sense to you and that would come in line with the other things that are in Scripture. Because there are places in Scripture where it talks about people that were born with a believing husband or a believing wife, but the other one was not. Uh, we're not going to get into all that. Just wanted to take that little side note there. That word there, unclean, is our word that we're looking at here. Because we want to understand what that, that word means. He says in Matthew 23:27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Now the word here, uncleanness, it can mean sexual impurity, but it can also mean other things. Romans 1:24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. So there you see the, there's a sexual aspect of it there. <clears throat> and Romans 1 is generally looked at the teaching about homosexuality. 2 Corinthians 12, 21. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness. There it's referring to uncleanness that comes as a result of, of sin. I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. Now in that list that is there, it is putting in, it, into things that are very physical. Galatians 5.19 Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. Everything in that, in that list is a sexual sin. It would seem that uncleanness in this aspect would be taking on one of those things. So somewhere we're doing some things in the, in the sexual area that is uh, pure, not good, defiling outside of a, uh, that needs another word for it outside of adultery, fornication, and lewdness. Ephesians 4.19, we had looked at this in the past, who being past feeling are giving themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. <clears throat> when we see this word, we're looking at things in which... Uh, well, I forgot this part of it. Most of the times that we see this used in the adverb form, not just the noun form, but the adverb form, it is used in the Gospels of Mark and Luke and in the book of Acts, and it refers, I would say, something like um, four-fifths of the time it is used of unclean spirits. Spirits that are called unclean. They would get people to do things that are not clean, that are not uh, uh, pure. And some of those things we know to be sexual, but not all of them. So when you see this word show up, he's talking about 
Uh, let's read it again here in verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. <clears throat> fornication and all uncleanness. Whatever things are going to defile. Whatever things are impure. Whatever things are going to defile you for the presence of God, basically. Get it away from you. Don't have any part of it. Well, I can just mess with it a little bit. I'm not really going to... Nope. Stay away from it. Stay away from any kind of fornication, any kind of uncleanness, or covetousness. Now, the word here for covetousness means greedy desire to have more. It's a greedy desire to have more. It is to be covetous. It is to be just always wanting something more. I'm not satisfied with what I have. In Luke 12:15, and he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. You can covet things and possessions, but that's not all. There's other things that you can do as well. 1 Thessalonians 2, 5, For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. What are you saying in this? We didn't try and, and have these covetous feelings on the inside where we want more, we are greedy, but we put another face over it. Well, really, we want you to do this in order to accomplish what God said, but that's not what we want. What we want is, uh, is, is, is something else. And just like, you know, the, the stereotype of the uh, evangelist who would go around and, uh, you know, giving this offering, you giving this offering, and God will do things. And, of course, there are some people that would prophesy. They would prophesy. I prophesy that everybody who gives $1,000 in this offering is going to have... <laughs> they, they name things. You see, they're, they're trying to take a covetousness on the inside of them and put another face in front of it. And Paul is saying here in this verse, that's not what we did. We didn't do any kind of flattering words. We didn't speak anything to you but the truth. We didn't cloak covetousness for something else. Second Peter 2, 3. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and the destruction does not slumber. Verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, they have a heart trained in covetous practices. There are people out there that have themselves trained in these practices of being covetous. They're trained in it. They just know how to, to pursue more and to get more. He goes on then and talks about, about filthiness. Let me get too far, uh, too far ahead, but I should have copied this verse over again. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. You let these things get named among you, you are tarnishing the image of God on the inside. Don't be, don't be following after these things. Verse 4. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So here's where we get into <clears throat> some of these other words. Not all of them are real common. Filthiness. This is a rare word. It's used this one time in the New Testament. It has the meaning of filthiness, base, baseness, ugliness, indecency, wickedness. In the New Testament, it implies a repulsive, this is uh, quoting from 
uh, <clears throat> my special book that no one else can get. <laughs> well, other people can get it, they just won't go through it all to, to, uh, to do so. But it's, uh, it gives a great picture of Greek words. And this, I'm just reading it to you from here. In the New Testament, it implies a repulsive filth or obscenity and a sharp contrast to godliness or purity. In the New Testament, it implies a repulsive, filthy, or obscenity and a sharp contrast to godliness or purity. Filthiness. Just, just filthy. I mean, you can't, oh, it's just, can't even describe anything else. That's just, that's, no, stay out of that sort of stuff. <clears throat> don't, be, don't be going after that. Not only foolish uh, filthiness, but foolish talking. Foolish talking. This is a, it's a term used by non-biblical writers, um, people that wrote in Greek outside of the Bible. We had to uh, go out there and get a little bit more of a look for it. <clears throat> it's used uh, by non-biblical writers for silly talk in general, such as what would be spoken by one of weak intellect or a drunk. You've got a person who's drunk and they start talking silly stuff. Stupid things. They begin to let out maybe some things that they shouldn't let out. Some uh, things they knew about people. Whatever it might be. But that's what it's talking at, looking at here. So the Bible looks at the foolish. This is the Bible viewpoint of the foolish, not the world. That was the world's view of the foolish. The Bible looks at the foolish as those ignorant of God's truth and wisdom. So you could actually interpret this as foolish talk, as talk that is void of God's truth and God's wisdom. Now to the world this won't seem foolish, but have you ever heard people who profess to be Christians and begin to say things that is devoid of the truth of God's word and devoid of the wisdom of God's word. And it's just silly and stupid and foolish. But they get up and they begin to talk about these things. And they begin to proclaim it as something of God. He says, this kind of stuff shouldn't be there. If you are going to speak something, it ought to be grounded in the truth and the wisdom of God. Make sure that it is. Don't be out there speaking about things that you don't know are in the truth and the word. There are some people, they just get out there and they just start talking like they know what the truth of the Word is, but they've not even studied it. They've, they have no idea what the truth of God's Word says on that matter, but they're going to talk about it anyway. That very much can be the kind of foolish talk that he has in, in mind here. He then goes on and talks about coarse jesting. Indecent or vulgar jesting. Improper jokes. It's only used here. This is it. The interesting, the etymology of this, this word is interesting in that it is made up of two words. The, one, the word for good and the word for turning. You say so you could, it, in doing this, you can take something that was supposed to be good, that's how I vision it anyway, supposed to be good and turn it into something other than good. Turn it around. And a lot of times, this kind of coarse jesting, you're taking something that was uh, a good quality and you're saying something in the beginning that sounds good and then you turn it. 
You ever heard people do that? And you just you just turn it. I mean, a mild mild case of that, you know. Uh, <clears throat> I watched some of the movies, and I I know women can be vicious with each other. Uh, men can be brutal. Women can be vicious. And so uh, men, if they have a, a argument, they uh, natural men, not not spiritual men, <laughs> natural men, they take it outside and they have the the fisticuffs and they uh, they battle each other. But sometimes, you know, once the battle's over, it's, it's over too. But you can hear some of the things that the women do. And a lot of them, are, it, it can be fallen women, not spiritual women. Fallen women, women that are going after the, the wrong nature. They can get in there and say, oh, that is such a nice dress. I had one just like it 10 years ago. <laughs> and, you know, us guys, we think, oh, man, she liked your dress. I think that's great. <laughs> and to the woman, to say, she didn't like my dress. <laughs> no, no, no. You see, they... But you see, it's, it, it's coarse jesting. You're taking something that was good and turning it, making it something that was, that was bad. You're taking something that God intended for good and you're turning it, and you're making it for bad. And that's, uh, well, that's what he's talking about here. Don't be, don't be doing it. Don't be getting into coarse jesting. Don't be saying things to make light of or to make fun of something that was intended to be serious. So, let's read that, that verse again. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. These bad things, get them out. You don't need them. The devil say, ah, oh, come on, we're just joking, we're just having a good time here. Uh, no, the Bible, he, Paul is telling you here, you are to have the image of God. The world is supposed to see the image of God when it sees you. You are to be an imitator of God. And here you are saying these things, having this coarse jesting, foolish talk. Talk that's not based on any truth from the Word of God. Talk that is not based on the wisdom of God. Get that stuff out of you. Don't be speaking it. Don't be having it. Instead, he says, be giving of thanks. This, uh, uh, you'll know this word. I'll give you this word from the Greek. Only because I know that you'll know it. The Greek word is eucharista. I'm sorry, eucharistia. What word do we get from that? The eucharist. It means gratitude. Actively grateful language. It actually means actually grateful language to God as an act of worship. Thankfulness giving of thanks. So instead of all those other things, we are to be giving of thanks. When I get involved in filthiness, I am not giving of thanks. When I get involved in coarse jesting, I am not giving of thanks. When I get involved with foolish talk, I am not giving thanks. So we have to leave the nature that we're supposed to be in to go after him and pick up something else. <clears throat> The first ones that he talks about, they're a little bit more outward. They're a little bit more ugly. But he, these other ones, sometimes Christians do it. They just tell off-color jokes. They just tell, have this coarse jesting that goes on. Uh, well, I didn't make them make them feel bad. I'm just joking around. No, don't be doing it. Stay out of these kind of things. Verse 5. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
Christ and God. You don't see them teamed up too much in this talking about the kingdom. <clears throat> don't be telling me you're, you're in the kingdom of Christ, but not, maybe not the kingdom of God. No, he's saying we're, we're talking about both of them here. There is no kingdom of Christ or God. We're, we're, you cannot be part of this kingdom. You are not have no inheritance of this kingdom. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Well, can someone be saved who has no inheritance? I kind of doubt it. And I'm not going to try it. So stay away from it. Yeah, but I just can't seem to get free of this sin. <clears throat> this ought to motivate you. And, and don't think, yeah, but I go to church and I read my Bible and I pray and I worship God and I do all these things. What's, what's uh, the Bible tell us about that? How many people are going to come to Him? But we did this in your name. And we did this in your name. And He says to them, Oh, I forgot you did all those things. Well, come on in. No, He says, Depart from me. I never knew you. No, I can't pass judgment on who's going to be on what side of the... Th I'm, that's not, it's not my role. I often tell you, I'm in sales. That's management. You're in sales too. We're all in sales. Management decisions are management decisions. I'm not in management. I don't make those decisions. <clears throat> We're just in sales. We're just out here to, to get people to uh, hear the gospel. Proclaim the message. For this you know that no fornicator, the word there fornicator, is the Greek word pornos. You all know what we get from that one. Unclean person may not commit the sexual acts of the previously mentioned verses, but maybe he does so in his thoughts, making him unclean. Let no one deceive you with empty words, he says. You see, we know what brings on the wrath of God. I know what it does. Don't let people come along and tell you, well, that's not really going to get God mad. That's not really going to get the wrath of God to come after you. You can go ahead and mess with these areas of sin and you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. God loves you. Nope, don't get involved with it. Do not be partakers with them, it says. Let no one deceive you, verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. I'd rather be one of the sons of God, not one of the sons of disobedience. He says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. Now this, do not be, do not be partakers with them, actually tells us not to become participants with them. The Greek word here means Partaking together with. Partaking together with. That you are participating. In case that's uh, blind anyone. <clears throat> the, uh, the, this, this is made up of two words. First part of this word means denoting union. With or together. It is also uh, stronger than some of the forms that denote a union for a prefix. This one is, is noting a strong 
union. So it denotes a strong union with or together. The second part of this word means a participant or one who shares or by implication and association is a partaker or a partner. So team these up and is making a very powerful word that you are participating. Don't let the world get you to participate in their things, in the things that are of the world. Stay an imitator of God. Don't become a partaker with the world and the things that they're doing. When the world uses language that they can't as acceptable, be an imitator of God. Would God use that language? Could you hear that language being uttered in heaven? If not, don't become a participant with it. Would that attitude be an attitude that is in heaven? If that attitude is not an attitude that would be in heaven, don't be a participant with it. Stay away from it. Reading Weiss, the entire section here, be becoming therefore imitators of God as children beloved and be ordering your behavior within the sphere of love even as Christ also loved you and gave himself up in our behalf and in our stead as an offering and a sacrifice to God for an aroma of a sweet smell. But fornication and uncleanness, every kind of it, or covetousness, let it not be even named among you just as it is befitting the saints and obscenity and foolish talking, or, and I do not know where he got this word, ribaldry, R-I-B-A-L-D-R-Y. I really, that's not in my vocabulary. Yes. I think you would have been better with some of the other ones, but it must be really old work. Cause it's, I, all right, well, there we go. Let's help has that one down. Uh, which things have not been seemingly or fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know absolutely and exper experientially, that every whoremonger or unclean person or covetous person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one keep on deceiving you by means of empty words. So there was a deceit that was going on. For because of these things there comes the wrath of God upon the sons of disobedience. Stop therefore becoming joint participants with them. And then he'll go on here and we'll pick up some of this. Now some places have the period after verse 7 and some have a comma. <clears throat> but it's over here. We're going to go back and uh, pick up these verses and when we go, go forward on these. But how do we become an imitator of God? I wrote some things down to help us. How do we become an imitator of God? But the first thing we need to do if we are going to become an imitator of God is stop imitating the world. And Paul has been driving this home in these, uh, in these verses here, chapter 4, here in the beginning of verse 5. Stop imitating the world. The people and the world around us, even those who prosper in this world, do not be imitators of the world and the people in it. Don't look at their prosperity and envy it and become covetous of it. Oh, I want to do what they, I want to have what they have. I'll just do as they do. Yeah, but down on your spirit, it's saying, no, oh, no, that's the wrong way to go about it. You are not imitating God anymore. You're imitating the world. There are people in the world who will prosper, but don't imitate them. Their end, the Word of God tells us, 
It's not good. So first thing, stop imitating the world. Second thing, stop doing the things that are against the nature of God. In order to pick up what we want to have, there's some things we have to stop doing first. If you're in a sports team, you're a sports person, and you want to be a quarterback for a football team or a star basketball shooter or a golf player who has a, uh, can go pro-am, or, and, and you go up there and you begin to, to do some things, more than likely, whatever coach you get is going to pinpoint some things that you are already doing that are wrong. Your swing is wrong. Your stance is wrong. Your posture is wrong. Whatever it is, there's something, something wrong. And the first thing you have to do is stop doing that. We've got to stop doing the things that are not of the nature of my God. Stop doing things that are against the nature of God. Now, not all are striking like some of the ones that were in here. But you've got to watch out for things. Watch out for pride. Watch out for thinking that you're better than the, the people on the same path. Watch how your judgment begins to sneak in. Watch how you can become an accuser of the brethren, just like the Satan. Stop thinking I'm better than the people that are around me. Stop thinking things or doing things that are unkind. Stop thinking or seeing the, the, the best in others. God wants me to do that, but if I stop going in that way, and I'm not thinking the best of others, I'm not seeing the best that are in others, then I'm going against the nature of God. Don't go against the nature of God. God listens to us. Aren't you glad for that? When we go to God in prayer, and we're, trying to, we're pouring out our heart, God listens to us. Listen to the people that are around you. Uh, one of the things I, I got from uh, uh, somebody pretty well known, uh, always listen to understand. A lot of times we're only listening to make our rebuttal. You've got to first of all understand. Make sure that you listen to understand what's going on. You can practice that a lot with little kids. Little kids want to come up and they want to tell you stuff and sometimes we can just say this is not very important. But it is important to them. Take the time. Make sure you understand what's going on. Stop imitating the world. Stop doing the things that are against the nature of God. Follow, it's number three, follow the example of Jesus. Jesus modeled the Father for us here on earth. He said it often. I do what I see the Father do, I speak what I hear the Father say. But I look to Jesus as an example to imitate the Father. My goal is to imitate the Father. But Jesus as the Son was one we can imitate that way. The last one, study God's Word with an intent to understand God. I don't understand all of God yet. The more I understand, the more I can walk in. Study God's Word with an intent to understand God, His nature, His love, His responses, His wisdom. You can keep that list going on. Got to understand God. When I study the Word, don't just read the stories. 
Don't just memorize the Scriptures. Don't just take the satisfaction of getting what that verse gives you. What does this teach me about God? Because what it teaches you about God is what you need to go out there and imitate. And that's what you need to become. Be imitators of God. The world will get you to know its Father. But you're supposed to get to know your your Father. Your Father is different from the world's Father. Be doing the things born of godly character. Be thinking things born of godly character. And mostly, be speaking things born of godly character. Watch the words that come out of your mouth. Watch the thoughts that buzz around in your head. Watch the things that your hands and your feet go to do. Because you are to imitate God the Father. The more I imitate Him, the more I understand Him. The more I imitate Him, the more I please Him. And that's our goal. Where we want to be. Father, we want to be imitators of You. We want to imitate the things of God, the attitudes that You have, the actions, the thoughts, the wisdom. We want to become imitators of You. That everything that we do down here is because You do it up there. Help us as we study Your Word to learn more, to always be looking out. What does this teach me about God the Father? Help us to always be looking in our own character as we go through the day to catch ourselves. Nope, nope, that's I'm thinking the wrong things here. I'm speaking the wrong things here. I'm doing the wrong things. Because we need to be imitators of God. You help us to do it. Oh, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.